Welcome to Radiate Church Online. We are so excited about what God is doing here at Radiate Church in Elgin, South Carolina. If you have a story that you would want to share about the impact that God has had on your life, you can share that story at youmatter@radiatechurch.net. Also, if you'd like to give, you can give by going to radiatechurch.net or you can give to our ministry by app. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message from God. Good morning and welcome to Radiate Church this morning. Hey, I want you guys to take one moment and connect with somebody next to you and tell them you are glad to see them this morning. Awesome. My name is Travis. I am one of the pastors here at Radiate Church, and I am incredibly honored and privileged to get to speak to you guys today. Pastor Brandon is in High Point, North Carolina, where he is teaching at Piedmont Chapel this morning, and he is teaching on how to weather storms. So be praying for our pastor. He's bringing an incredible word to our brothers and our sisters up in North Carolina. But I'm ecstatic for this opportunity to get to teach to you guys today. So we're right smack in the middle of a series called All In, right? Where we're going to take all the chips we have in our life and we're going to slide them right into the middle of the table and we're going to say, hey, we're going to be all in on some things in our lives, right? And this entire series is based off of a conversation that takes place where um, Jesus's ministry is getting kind of popular and he's gaining popularity and people will begin to follow him. And these religious officials are like, uh, they're a little questioning on uh, the success and the popularity of his ministry. Um, so they're trying to trip him up with a few questions to see if he really is who he says he is, right? And this happens in Mark 12. Uh, and they say, well, why don't you tell us which one of the uh, commandments is the greatest then, right? Since you, since you are, are the person who you say you are. And they say, well, which one is the greatest? And he says, well, you know, you, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, right? And the funny thing is, like, he answers their question, but they kind of already know it. So this is a fundamental prayer for uh, Jewish leaders, right? It's called the Shema. The word Shema means hear or listen, hear, O Israel. He's like, wait a second, you guys actually already know the answer to the question that you're asking me. You know what you need to do to be all in. You know what the greatest things that we can actually be doing are, right? So in week one, we said, hey, what does it look like to commit to God? And in week two, uh, we looked at, hey, what does it look like for our heart to beat in rhythm with God's and be all in on our heart? Last week, we took a, a slight detour where we celebrated Mother's Day right here at Ray Church. Give it up for the moms. Moms, pet moms, spiritual moms, all the ladies in the house. Check this out. Here's a couple stats from last week. I, I love these things. I think sometimes in life, um, there's certain things that we do. We don't really have a scoreboard. So we, like, we're not like a football team. Right? We don't really know when we're winning. Um, so I want to share some things with you guys to let you know that your church is winning. Check this out. Over 600 people joined us last week. 17 families said, hey, we're going to commit to raising our kids in a believing household. Five people made a decision to trust Jesus with absolutely everything in their life for this lifetime and the lifetime to come. So I get the privilege to speak to you guys on today on, hey, what does it look like to be all in with our soul, right? A very bizarre thing. And the word soul 
uh, outside the Bible, I think we'd all agree, it, it kind of appears a handful of times in our culture, right? We say stuff like, um, uh, someone's your soul mate, which means that like they're the perfect compliment to you. I think Ashley is my soul mate. She may tell you different, but she doesn't have the mic today. I do. Um, <laughs> every once in a while, you may even hear someone call someone an odd soul, right? And I guess what they're saying is like, hey, you're utterly a weirdo, but I'm just going to tell you that in a very spiritual way, right? You're just an odd soul. Maybe the greatest use of the word soul in our language is soul food, right? It's like normal food, but better, right? Uh, so uh, I was actually talking to somebody yesterday about sweet tea. Like if you go anywhere else and you like ask for tea, they probably give you like unsweet tea or something. But if you get it, sweet tea in South Carolina, it comes crunchy. It has so much sugar and right, soul food is so much better, right? There's, uh, there's animal parts in everything that's cooked, right? It's so much better. Um, but yeah, so we had this uh, idea of what soul means, and the word soul comes from a German word, sal. And I think if you're anything like me, and kind of how I was thinking about this before I started studying, is when we think of the idea of soul, we think of, uh, hey, there's this like thing inside me, whenever I die, this orb comes out, and not, I'm just this disembodied thing, right? And unfortunately, we have Western civilization and some Greek thought to thank for that. Um, but that's actually not what the biblical authors mean whenever they say the word soul, right? So in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, they use a word called nefesh for soul. And it happens over 750 times in the Old Testament. And when we get to the New, they're writing in Greek, and they use the word suke, which we get the word psyche from. But they have something very different to say about soul. It's not this weird orb thing that's living in us that we've got to kind of figure out what it is, but... Um, it, uh, much like a lot of words that we have, the word nefesh, the one they use for soul, kind of has a couple different meanings, right? So the most literal way they ever use this word for soul means your throat, right? Your throat and your esophagus. So there's a passage in Numbers 11 where the Israelites are, uh, they're, they're like complaining, hey, all we have to eat is manna around here. And we really miss like all the fish and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks that we had in Egypt. And our nefesh is drying up. Our soul, like it's a very literal use of the word, right? But the most common use of the word nefesh is for, um, is for life. It's for life, like human life, our lives, and not just, um, not just something orb inside of us, but it's actually our hardware plus our operating system, right? Everything that makes you, you. So famous passage in Genesis 2 uh, where God creates man and he says he breathes into man and man becomes a living, breathing nefesh, right? A living, breathing soul. It means life. The same way I would say, hey, there's hundreds of lives in this room today. And I wouldn't be wrong about that. But there's also a double meaning where it's like, hey, there are hundreds of people with unique experience, with uh, unique uh, abilities and everything that makes you, you. So I'm going to do an experiment. I don't think this may or may not work. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. We're going to go through the wormhole for a minute because I think soul is kind of a weird thing and it's kind of an ethereal thing. Um, so let's go through the wormhole for a minute because I think I might even can make you connect with your soul for a minute. So we're going to do an experiment. So let's pretend that I built a teleportation device because I am that smart. I'm a brilliant scientist and I made this teleportation device. And there's a doorway right here at Radiate Church, right? And there's a doorway at your favorite restaurant that you're going to go to after you leave church today. And I were to tell you 
hey, you, I can teleport you there in an instant, right? And this is how my teleportation device I built is going to work. You're gonna walk through it, and it's gonna take every single cell in your body apart, right? And then whenever you go through this doorway at your favorite restaurant, it's gonna put them all back together, right? Does that make sense at this point? In my fictitious um, portal that I made? So if I were to ask you, hey, uh, do you have any hesitations about using the teleportation device I built, the thing that's going to pull all of your cells apart and then put them back together somewhere else? And I've asked a few people this, you may have this one hesitation. Well, hey, how do I know when this thing puts me back together at my favorite restaurant, did this really me on the other side? Did it really put me back together, right? That's your soul. It's the thing that makes you you. It's your hardware plus your operating system. So check this out. Kind of a bizarre thought to think about. According to the biblical authors, you don't have a soul. You are a soul, right? And the Bible has a lot to say about your soul. And there's a lot of intentional um, thought put into your soul, right? So the thing that maybe you were able to feel it in my little fake exercise, or maybe not the thing that makes you, you, but think about this. God, um, he cares about it a lot, right? So he says in Genesis two, that he breathes his, his breath, his spirit into uh, man and that, uh, man becomes a living, breathing nephesh, a living, breathing soul, but we know from our Bibles that it's not long after that that everything gets compromised from sin, right? But God says, I'm not going to give up on plan A, right? Because I still care about your living, breathing soul, your nephesh, that I'm going to make a way to rescue and I'm going to make a way to redeem it, right? So we go through time and we get to the person of Jesus who uh, fulfills that in, in, in pretty much every way, right? He resurrects and we know that having a life built around him we too one day have a hope that our nephesh, our soul can survive the grave just like his, right? So I came to talk to you guys today about three things that I really hope um, encourage you. I hope they develop your faith. I hope they inspire you. Something that might help you take all the chips you've got in life, right? Slide them right to the middle of the table and say, I want to go all in on loving God with all my soul, every fiber of my being. You guys down? Let's rock and roll. So check this out. If I were to tell you there was somewhere in your Bible that exists, that tells you what the nucleus of your soul is, would you be interested in that, right? Think Iron Man, right? The blue thing right in the middle. If I were to tell you that there's somewhere in the Bible that tells you what that is about your soul, you might be interested in that, right? So it's found actually in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13. We're going to read verses 13 through 15, and we're going to add 19 to it. And um, the Bible actually says it's our anchor of our soul. And so it's going to come on the screens behind me shortly. Hebrews 6, 13 through 15. I'll grab 19 at the end. It says this. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Now I'm going to add 19 to it. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul a hope both sure and steadfast and one that enters within the veil, right? So the first thing we need to do to be all in with our soul, push all the chips to the center of the table, get this, is we have to form faith. Form faith. This is a really cool passage on uh, taking every fiber of our being and saying, hey, I'm going to form it around uh, faith. And, you know, pastor taught 
um, last week about faith and, and reminded us that faith is, you know, the assurance of things hoped for us, that conviction of things that haven't quite happened. We haven't quite seen uh, take place yet. But there's something really cool about this verse that I hope you, uh, that, that I truly hope encourages you. Um, it doesn't quite appear off the bat, off the drop, like it does for uh, maybe somebody who heard it for the first time, but I think there's something interesting here that's going to speak to somebody. So verses uh, 14 and 15 say, uh, I surely will bless you, I'll surely multiply you, and having so patiently waited, he obtained the promise, right? Two verses that probably take up all of a fraction of an inch between them on your tablet, on your phone, in your Bible. But in reality, the span of time between those two verses is a span of 22 years. So the author is saying the nucleus, the anchor of every fiber of our being is just believing uh, in things that we can't always wrap our heads around and things that haven't quite happened. And I don't mean things that haven't quite instantly happened, but things we haven't seen happen for years. It's still having the faith that God who started a good work in us will see that work to completion and he'll continue that, right? We live in such an instant society that I think it's very hard to wrap our heads around the idea of very long lasting faith, 22 year faith, right? Uh, we live in an instant society. Every time I like type something in on my MacBook and I see the wheel spinning, I'm like, Really? Come on now. You know, like it's 2019. Let's get with it, you know? Or we go to our favorite restaurant and you're like, hey, I'll have a steak and where is it? Uh, we, I think we're living in a very instant society. We want things to happen quick, but we're unwilling to say, hey, I can build every fiber of my being knowing that I will not see something happen for decades sometime. That's absolutely incredible. We have to understand that God is in control even when we don't see it even when we don't feel it. It does not mean that he is not in control. Forming faith is about the long game and not the short game, right? And I'm so encouraged that our Bibles tell us that, you know, if we're new believers or even if we've just been on this faith journey for years, that small faith has dramatic impact, right? The Bible says, uh, uses these um, uh, ways of looking at faith, like the faith of a child or the faith of a mustard seed. And these things have a major impact on our life. And just imagine how different our lives can be. Like every fiber of our living being could be if we would go, hey, you know what? That thing I prayed for, I know God's not being silent on that thing right now. And I'm willing to wait it out. And I'm willing to play the long game because chances are whatever it is I wanted or needed right now wasn't even the best that he had planned for me in my life, right? And sometimes I even think to myself, like, what are we even really having faith for? You know, what are some of the things that we've believed in that we've let die because it wasn't on our timetable? Or what if it wasn't even in our universe? So check this out. I've just recently been very convicted by this. Is Think of this thought. So if God answered your prayers today, right, of everything that you've been believing in, would it just change your life or would it change the world around you? Mm. What are we having faith for to begin with, right? What are we believing for? What do we know that, hey, at the end of the day, every fiber of my being, I'm willing to push the chips into the middle of the table and go, God, I will not give up on you because you do not give up on me. And you still will finish a good work that you have started in me. The first thing we have to do is we have to go all in on forming faith, long-term faith, not short-term faith, and play the long game. You guys with me? Oh, it's about to get good here in a second. Point number two. If we're going to push all the chips to the center, go all in with our soul, remember it's a physiological thing, we have to pursue God passionately or passionately pursue God, right? So we've already went through the wormhole, so why not go into um, 
to left field for a minute. Um, but remember, so uh, so if we're if if, if our if our nefesh is a uh, the physical part of us, right? Our hardware plus our operating system. And we've seen some passages that talk about um, physiological needs, like our throat, like our bodies physiologically respond to things like hunger and thirst and uh, for longing, like relationships and companionship and romance. Like that's all literally a part of our soul, right? And I have an example I think it's going to be really cool. I'm going to show you guys. Um, and it's out of a book called The Song of Songs or The Song of uh, Solomon. Uh, before we travel there, I will warn you, it's uh, the Fifty Shades of Grey of the Bible. Um, but, uh, but it's kind of misunderstood. It's actually a fantastic book. It's really misunderstood because um, it's not really linear. It's just like back and forth conversation between a, a female lead and a male lead character. Um, and they have an intense desire for each other and they're constantly looking for each other and, and reconnecting with each other. Um, but it has a lot to say to us today about what it really means, what pure love is, and what it really means to desire and to seek after someone and, and how that can change us whenever we find it, right? So, uh, and it's, it's got a couple rated R scenes. I don't think we're gonna hit any of those today, but, uh, but if you guys could, I'm gonna read out of Song of Solomon, um, and I'm gonna read chapter three, verses one through three. And uh, this is about uh, pursuing with passion, right? It says, uh, on my bed, Night after night, I sought him who my nephesh, my soul, loves. I sought him, but did not find him. I must arise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I must seek him who my soul loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me and said, have you seen the one whom your soul loves? And this it's a kind of a dream that's happening right now. And it goes on a little further. And the female lead says, I found him and I'm never going to let him go at this point. And um, I think this teaches us that our soul truly does have a physiological um, drive for companionship and lasting and meaningful relationships. And that we can literally, we have a physiological response that we can have towards loving and pursuing God passionately, right? So there's a guy named uh, Napoleon Hill. He wrote a book in the 1930s during the Great Depression. It's called Think and Grow Rich. You need to write that down. I'll tell you why you do. It's because it's made more millionaires than any other book in history. That's why you need to write it down. Um, and then you can help us out with Waymaker, right? Win-win. But um, now he says in his book, he's got all these interesting things that he says like uh, can kind of help you formulate um, you know, turning your thoughts and these goals you have into wealth or whatever the end result is. And he says something really interesting. I find it fascinating. He says that um, whenever you're romantically interested in somebody, you're the most creative and risk-taking you'll ever be in your entire life. And if you could just apply that to whatever you do, you'd be unstoppable. And he's right. I mean, any, anybody in here um, with a spouse or significant other, you know that to be true, right? When Ashley and I first started dating, I would call into work or skip class anytime, right? Whatever. I mean, we'll figure it out later. But yeah, it's absolutely true, though. You, you're willing to be a, a greater risk taker, and you're, uh, you throw some caution to the wind, right? Because you, you're ultimately motivated by that relationship, and you want, to in, you want to increase that relationship and intensify it, right? And I think there's some things that really we can honestly think of physical relationships in our life and go, hey, we can do those exact same things to passionately pursue God and push all those chips in the middle of the table and say, hey, I'm going to be all in on them, right? So just think about maybe your significant other. Like, how would you pursue them? Would you, you'd want to spend quality time with them, right? QT, 
I think we'd all agree on that. And we can do that same thing with God. One of the ways that we can spend quality time with God is we can pray to him, right? Which is just making our thoughts and our dreams and the things that are bugging us known to him like he doesn't know, he does know them, right? But spend time in prayer. And listen, let me get this straight. I mean like real prayers, not the narcoleptic prayers we all do at the end of the day when we're laying in our bed and we're like, God, thank you so much. And we just pass, right? I don't know where we thought that Getting as comfortable as possible is the best way to communicate with God. I don't know where that started, right? Like, like the only thing that can make it better is like a hospital bed. I could just lean up to pray and then just <laughs> lean myself back down to go to sleep. Not the narcoleptic prayers or the one I'm always responsible for, the ADD prayers. Do you guys do those where you're like, you know, you're praying and the next thing you know, you're like in line at, you know, Chick-fil-A, you know, how did I even get here, you know? Our father who art in heaven without the consent of Major League Baseball and you're just we're even going with that, right? <laughs> Real prayers, right? Take some time to, uh, to isolate and just connect. Connect with God. Talk to him like you would talk to somebody who you're seriously interested in and you want to have this lasting relationship with, right? And uh, sounds kind of counter, but uh, fasting is another way to spend quality time with God, right? Because we said our nefesh, it's physical, hardware plus operating system. Uh, so we have physiological needs like eating and drinking. But whenever we, we set those things aside, we go, hey, God, those things really, they're sustaining my body, but they're not sustaining the part of my body that will last beyond the grave. And I want to take time just to spend time with you. And I want to encounter that more than I want to counter other needs that might be present with me. Fasting is a great way to spend quality time. And you got to get to know them, right? That's, I think anybody would agree with that with somebody that they're pursuing with passion. They have a desire to have this relationship with. You want to get to know them. How, what's the best way to do that? Read your Bible, you know, basic instructions before leaving earth. And then what it stands for, right? Read your Bible. I was playing. That's not what it stands for. But um, no, read your Bible. That's, your, that's the easiest way to learn about God's heart and to be able to connect yours to that. And you're going to learn something amazing. He truly just wants you to figure out a way to be all in on him and be all in on his people, right? The ones that he sent Jesus to die for. That's his heart. That's, that's getting to know him. Love what he loves, right? And I think one of the things that we don't really think about sometimes whenever we enter into a relationship with somebody, uh, and for some odd reason, we, I think we kind of all, even myself, I get this wrong with God sometimes, uh, is I think one of the most important things we can do for somebody that we truly want to passionately pursue is we really got to give them like the real us, right? Not not the filtered version, not the dolled up version, not the version that we see in our head, but the actual real us, right? Relationships don't work when, you know, down the road, you never had that job or that, you know, Mercedes that you've been bragging about that you had, right? Those things don't work, right? We need to learn to give God the real us because the things that are, that are shortcomings for us and things that we struggle with, they're not surprises for him. Right? So I don't know why we, we hide behind things and think that you know, God doesn't know a lot of the things that we're going through in our life. He very well knows those things. Uh, and I think that there's just a level of transparency we need to have and go, God, I don't have this all together at all. I know you're the one who does. So I've got to give some stuff up over to you right now. And this is the real me. And this is like where I'm really at right now on this. And we need to hand those things back over to God, right? And uh, and think about this, he sent Jesus, right, to be the rescuer, the redeemer of our nephesh, so our soul can make it past the grave and get to live eternally with him one day. Um, 
And the version of you that he died for was that actual real version, right? He said he made you in your mom's womb, so he knows everything there is to know about you, and it was worth dying for, and it was worth sending his son for to be able to do that. And it wasn't the you, and, and, and it wasn't the you that, that you put up this facade, but it's the you that's full of capacity, full of potential, right? And full of all these amazing things that you're capable of doing. So we need to uh, push all the chips in the center of the table. We're going to go all in with our soul and we're going to form faith and we're going to pursue God passionately, just like we would pursue anybody. We're going to spend some quality time with them, sync up with them and also give them the real us. And uh, I think we would agree that, that it's really hard to develop faith and to start to pursue with passion if there are things in our lives that are holding us captive. And we're not actually freely able to give our entirety, every fiber of our being, our soul, our nephesh, right back to God. So the third thing that I think is going to help us deepen our relationship with God and really uh, be able to know what it means to be all in with our soul is we're going to have to find freedom. We're going to have to find freedom from some things. And I'm sure just by hearing those words, something has popped into your head, maybe you've encountered in your lifetime or you're currently encountering. But there are a lot of material things that keep us from actually being free, right? It can be relationships that we maybe have with people that are abusive or maybe not what God really intends. Maybe it's um, things that we're, we are abusing, substance uh, abuse, or maybe it's turning immaterial things to uh, have horrible consequences, right? So taking like uh, something immaterial like lust and that kind of comes out in to reaching out to other people on social media or um, trying to start some relationship with somebody at work or pornography or addiction. Maybe we can have something immaterial like greed and we give up our network so we can work on our net worth and now our families have to like suffer because of that because we're always at work and we're always zoned out and we're doing things like that. So there are material and immaterial things that I, I really know can hold us captive. And we're not able to freely say, hey, God, I can give you every fiber of my being and I'm willing to do that. And um, listen, I get it. I understand that life is complicated and I, and I understand that life can be complex and we're going to go through seasons of, of really... Uh, things kind of have a little bit of a hold on us. But you know, when I see it in my head, I kind of think about this analogy that like going through life is kind of like, um, kind of like going through a mountain range, right? So you're in these valleys sometimes and you start to pick things back up and you finally get on the top of these mountains and like all of a sudden, you know, you think you're going to get this beautiful vista that you get to look out over and see and you realize that it's just a sea of mountains in every other direction, Right. And from far off, things look like stones, but up close, stones turn into boulders, right? So what do we need in this lifetime? We need somebody who can be this skilled mountain guide, somebody who says, hey, life is going to be full of disappointment. It's going to be full of things that uh, are going to distract you, uh, and they're going to hold you captive where you're not freely able to give yourself. Um, but what if there was somebody who could walk with you on that, help you avoid those pitfalls and lighten the load, right? And there's a passage uh, that happens in Luke 14. And it's uh, Luke 14, 25 through 33. This is becoming one of my most, uh, I don't know, I'm really pumped up about this, this passage right here. I think that there's more to it. There's more to it than I know for sure. Um, but it's fastly becoming one of my favorite passages in scripture. And I'm gonna read it. It's Luke 14, verses 25 through 33. And I think we're gonna learn something about freedom here. 
It says, now large crowds were going along with them, and he turned to them and said, talking about Jesus, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he laid a foundation, he's not able to finish it. All who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's even strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming up against him with 20,000, or else, while the other is still far away, he sends delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions, right? PT, that was supposed to encourage me. What are you reading me right now? Let me break it down for you. So think about it like this. Uh, Jesus has a large crowd of people uh, who are approaching him, and it's still at a season of his ministry where he's wildly popular and people are, are trying to see what he's all about. And um, so he's got a lot of people coming near him and they're asking what it looks like to follow him. So what he's doing is he's using some strong language and he's beginning to thin the crowd out, right? And uh, so he begins by using language where he says, you know, you need to hate your father and your mother, brother and sister. And he doesn't mean to literally hate them. He's saying on your life priority list, understand that I get to be number one, right? And everybody else gets to be number two. But then he does something I think is, this is brilliant. This is just brilliant. He drops two math problems on you, right? And uh, I'm very bad at math and I, I'm gonna help us all figure these out really quick. Uh, he says, well, you don't wanna be like the person who decided that you wanted to begin something and you didn't have what it take to finish it, right? He said, then you also don't wanna be like somebody who's, uh, you only have this uh, fraction of what you're going up against and you're gonna have to give up at some point in time, right? So he gives you these two math problems and somebody hearing this for the first time goes, well, how do I even follow Jesus? Because according to his logic, I'm not going to be able to do it, right? And that's exactly what he wants somebody to think that on your best day, on your best day, you can only provide a fraction of what it takes to follow Jesus with everything, to put all the chips in the center of the table, right? So how could you even do it, right? If you, if the, on your best day, you only get to provide a fraction of being all in. The answer is he does the rest. A relationship with Jesus does the rest. Finding freedom and being all in is only possible with that relationship because he's going to begin to transform our life to where we can live out a victorious life in him, right? And our bodies, you know, the Bible says our bodies are a temple and Jesus wants a relationship with us and he wants to inhabit us and empower us and encourage us and to, uh, to be able to lighten that burden and help us find freedom. And it's a freedom we can truly only find in him. He died for our sins. And the cool thing is, is that whenever we begin that relationship with him, right? And we're navigating these mountain ranges, he says, you don't have to carry the weight that you were carrying before because I just took it for you. It doesn't mean you're not gonna struggle with that. And it doesn't mean you're not gonna encounter things that are going to challenge you. It doesn't mean those things won't come back up. But I took that to the cross with me and I was thinking about you when I came out the grave because I wanted to rescue and redeem you and give your nefesh the same thing that I experienced whenever I lifted right out of the grave, right? And I know it's a long, tough road and 
And like I said, we, we're, we're going to face adversity and we're going to face temptations, right? But if we're going to be all in and, and we're going to have the opportunity to find freedom, right? To be able to freely give him every fiber of our being, we have to forge that relationship and allow him to do the work because he's already carried those things for us. And let's let him just continue to remove those from us so we can better follow him, right? So I, I know soul's a weird word and I know like a lot of times we do think of it's this weird orb thing, but the Bible is very intentional that it's not, right? It's, it's you, it's your hardware plus your operating system. And the Bible says that you truly can be all in with it. You can be all in with your soul. The anchor of your soul is your faith and the faith journey that you're on. Maybe something that got promised to you by God a long time ago that still hasn't happened. That's still a part of your soul, right? God wants you to passionately pursue him like you would pursue anybody, right? That is your soul response to that. That's a physiological response. And lastly, we have to remember that to give him everything means that we have to give up some things, right? And he did die for those things. Let's let him take them and let's let him transform us so we can live out that victorious life. So I hope today has helped clear up a few things. It's been a, a true honor. I, I'm loving the subject of soul right now. It was a lot of fun. So I hope today has helped you form faith and learn how to pursue with passion and also find freedom. And, um, and our host is gonna join us in just a few minutes. But the last thing I'd love to accomplish today would just to be able to pray over each and every one of us. And um, not just for, uh, and, and we're gonna pray for those who haven't forged that relationship, but I really wanna pray for everyone today who had something that they were really believing in that they've given up on. I also wanna pray for people today who, um, they haven't taken those steps to go, God, I believe you truly are the creator of the universe and you've died for me, but I need to take some steps to really chase after you a little bit more. And I really wanna pray that chains come off of people today, just like when we were singing earlier, that chains would fall and Jesus can change everything. Could you guys just bow your heads with me so I could pray? First off, if there's anyone in the room today that says, listen, I, I haven't quite created that relationship with Jesus yet and, and I want, to be able to make that possible today. Listen, I don't have it all together. I don't understand everything, but I'm willing to say that I want to experience the same, that same life that Jesus had after he resurrected. And I want to be able to have a full life in this lifetime and a full lifetime to come. Would you guys just raise your hand? Cause I'm just gonna pray with us like a family today. If there's anybody in the room that wants to create that initial uh, relationship with Jesus today. Awesome. And we're going to pray that prayer together as a family today, if you guys don't mind. And the prayer doesn't save you at all. The relationship and the faith and the belief in Jesus is the thing that saves you for this lifetime and the one to come. But I'm just going to pray right now. If you guys could repeat after me, dear Jesus, thank you so much for uh, dying for me and dying for the sins that I should have died for. God, thank you for thinking of me on that cross. Thank you for creating a way that I can have a relationship with you in this lifetime and the lifetime to come. God, I pray that your spirit lives in me and empowers me and helps me live out a life for you, a victorious life for you. Amen. And while you guys have your heads still bowed, I just want to pray over anybody in the room today. And I'm not going to ask you to hold a hand up or anything. I think we all fall in these categories. I just want to pray over each and every one of us that something fresh and something new like Mike said today starts to happen in our souls. 
today. God, I pray that you just ignite old passions, ignite old dreams that you've given us before. God, things that we've given up on, I pray that you encourage us. I pray that you uh, help us believe and form faith that is not instant faith, but is long-lasting faith, that you truly do want to finish that great work that you started in us. God, I pray that you help just show us ways that we can passionately pursue you, God, ways that we can chase after you the way that we would chase after anybody that we want an ultimate relationship with. God, I pray that even though we don't all get it right at first, that when we start to begin spending time with you and praying with you, connecting with your word, God, that you begin to reveal yourself to us in ways that we don't even understand. And that relationship strengthens and deepens beyond our belief. And God, for the things that we're carrying in this room right now that we are unable to carry, we wanna give those things back to you because you died for those things, God. We pray that the, that the chains of addictions that are on us and the chains of mentalities and labels that we put on ourselves are just stripped away and removed, God, and that we can give you the true us, the one that you wanted from the get-go, the one that on day six you said was good and you wanted to redeem and you wanted to rescue. God, we pray that you remove those things, God, and we thank you for what you have done in the building today. And we want to thank you for the one person that made a decision to follow you with every fiber of their being. God, thank you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.